Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. We've got another episode of Monday Madness. Today is July 27th, and it is nearing the end of the month, which also means nearing the end of my lease. So, got to be out of the place by noon on the 30th, because my landlord doesn't like us. And then I get to move into the new place on the 1st. So, thankfully, I've got a few couches to crash on while we do this, but it's, it's a big step. Things are changing. I'm surprised we can still move with the, the housing the process was a little bit strange with coronavirus. Lots of emails, weird showing where you're still trying to social distance and wear masks, but I'm glad it all worked out. But you did not come here to listen to me lament over moving. You came for some oil and gas news, and you know what? I'm going to give it to you. Last week, oil pretty much hovered around $40, $41, the highest trading point at about $42.40 for WTI, so that's good. But right now, as I record, it's trading at $40.60. Baker Hughes released another round of rig counts last Friday, and for the U.S., rig count is at 251 down two from last week, and down 695 from a year ago today. I know that sounds doom and gloomish, but there are some good things going on. I know some of our audience is based out of Colorado. This is where we record it. Looks like we've got a few from Texas as well. I'm checking the analytics. But good news for Colorado. Polis trying his best to acknowledge the fact that Colorado was built on, well, the sale of a lot of natural resources. I think he eloquently covers it with his statement when he said, From the first prospectors who blazed the western trails in search of gold and silver, to the Climax molybdenum mine near Leadville, to oil and gas, Colorado's history and economy have been inextricably tied to mining and our bountiful natural resources. But what is the significance? Why is he saying this? Why am I so excited? Well, if you listened to our last Basin Breakdown episode that we pushed out, which would have been for the month of June, you would notice that for the DJ Basin, we talked about a new sort of Senate Bill 181, Proposition 112, Agreement 174, whatever you want to call it. Basically, year after year, there's environmental groups, homeowners, people who aren't pleased with the oil and gas industry based on the propaganda that they read or whatever these groups do tell them, go to fight oil and gas in the ballot with those agreements, which basically are all the same. There's not a hair's breadth of difference between them, and it all boils down to setbacks, really. Right now, current regulations in Colorado, I believe, depending on what type of property or building it is, there's 100 to 500 foot setbacks, and those are the ones that most people follow. But what these people are pushing for are 2,500 foot setbacks, and if you do that, you effectively zone out a majority of production for oil and gas in Colorado, depending on how you define a public structure. It's pretty overarching, and it would really decimate the industry, destroy operations in Colorado. So year after year, lots of money is spent advertisement to fight it because a lot of the state's severance tax, a lot of the money that they make does come from natural resources, oil and gas specifically. So year after year, they fight it. It keeps going down in the ballot. But this year, Polis has asked both oil and gas and environmental groups to let Senate Bill 181 just work through the regulatory process which is likely to say that, well, too much money comes from oil and gas, so it probably won't make it through. He's basically tired of seeing the same thing year after year, which is why he said, as governor, 
I will actively oppose ballot initiatives related to oil and gas extraction in 2020 and 2022 from both sides. I also ask legislative leadership in the General Assembly to join in this effort and to allow for Senate Bill 181 to be fully and effectively implemented as envisioned by the sponsors and the administration before pursuing additional significant regulatory legislative actions for oil and gas extraction so we can together determine how the new law is working for Colorado. First of all, long sentence. Second of all, he's going to do his best to not let either oil and gas or environmental groups influence the decision. But like I said, the money from oil and gas should be enough. So I got to say, big win for Colorado there. And let's uh, move it on to the next story, which, you know, not as positive. Got to balance out the good with the bad, I suppose. Schlumberger, job cuts to top 21,000. Schlumberger was really looking to bounce back after coronavirus, but this second wave has just proved to be way too scary for them. Their second quarter was actually so bad that it's going to be spending $1 billion to shrink its staff to an 11-year low, cutting about one-fifth of the workforce that they have. This is just coming off of their weakest sales in 14 years, so Schlumberger is in a bad, bad place. It's unfortunate, but time and time again, this is what we see when a company is doing really bad, and especially if they're Schlumberger and have over 100,000 employees, they're going to try and save money on what they pay people. So unfortunately, fifth of the workforce just getting shaved right off. Cool boy. I feel bad for you if you are involved with that company because that has got to be terrifying. So hopefully Schlumberger can come out of this a little bit stronger than they were when they went in. But, like I said, taking the good with the bad, we also get to take the bad with the good. A study envisions up to 120,000 well reclamation jobs. Now, this is something we've kind of covered in the past a little bit. Just to recap, the feds are considering a program where they will give some stimulus money to pay for people for plugging orphaned and abandoned wells. Now, 120,000 jobs is certainly significant. And that number does come from Columbia University's Center for Energy Policy and the nonprofit research institution for the future. While that estimate is rather large, they also estimated the range of wells, orphan wells and abandoned wells specifically, from several hundred thousand to three million. The study also estimated that reclamation costs would range from as low as $20,000 up to $145,000 per well. So those are the numbers that kind of guided that estimate. I would love to see this. We've talked about it a lot. I think it's great to take the money that you would give to companies and give it to the people that are supporting those countries because that gets food back on the tables of families who need it all across the country. I know those states like Texas and Oklahoma are going to be very happy to see this because there's just so much oil and gas activity and industry in those parts. And I know a lot of people need those jobs. So... Fingers crossed that this actually goes through. So good news there, and if you think about it, things could definitely be worse. There could be national armies and mercenaries involved, which is actually what's going down in Libya right now. Back in January, the Libyan National Army imposed a blockade on all Libyan oil terminals, which sent the production plummeting from more than 1 million barrels per day to about 100,000 barrels per day in less than six months. This blockade forced... Libya to lose billions in revenue. Now, at the end of June, there were signs that the blockade could end, with paramilitary groups fighting alongside the Libyan National Army, saying that they had negotiated the reopening of the oil ports. But, according to the Wall Street Journal report, 
Mercenaries from Wagner Group, which is a Russian military contractor. Don't see those too frequently in these parts, but they moved in to take control of one of the ports. According to officials from Libya and Europe, this changed Haftar's mind about lifting the blockade. So, that's why throughout July, it has remained. Unfortunately, as soon as the U.S. got wind of this, well, guess what they did? You've been, you've been following for a couple of weeks now, hopefully. If you guessed sanctions, the threat of sanctions, you were correct. So, tensions are high there. We'll see what happens. I'm not exactly sure of why exactly Russian groups are involved but something to keep an eye on for sure. If I had to guess, at this point, the United States is probably just annoyed Libya, and they will be more likely to pursue trade agreements with other people. Hint, hint, talking about that yuan-backed petrodollar. Well, I guess it wouldn't be a petrodollar, it'd be a petro-yuan. But either way, that situation is undesirable. But last story of the day, Rystad Energy, an analyst firm that we've looked at before, they have a new report, that accounts for, well, the second wave of COVID-19. The new assumption for the base case now incorporates a mild second wave of the coronavirus. Best case scenario, well, a lot of European markets start to open, but then countries that will have to probably shut down due to their increasing number of coronavirus cases, such as United States, Brazil, India, that's going to offset all of the good production that comes online. Now, that's best case scenario, according to Reistad. Their worst case scenario was one that sees oil demand to be 3.7 million barrels per day lower for the remainder of 2020. Now, that's about 3.7% of what worldwide demand was at the start of this year. Well, I guess probably closer to the end of last year. Things have been pretty crazy. Reistad also predicts that the shocks felt from a COVID-19 resurgence will not be as severe because we are now armed with a few more tools and the knowledge to fight some of this stuff. Maybe in the fact that we're getting more comfortable with it, so hopefully they are correct there. For July, Rystad expects that the oil demand to average 90.2 million barrels per day, and then by the time we get to the end of the year, 95 million barrels per day in December. This compares to oil demand of more than 99 million barrels per day last year, like I said, that 100 mil. So, that's not too far off from where things were. Hopefully we can continue to get those prices going up, work through all the oil we've stored, and really, not too bad a prediction, kind of in line with the prediction that Rare Petro had. If you didn't hear about that one, please go to the periodicals page on rarepetro.com. You can read it there with a lot of good figures, or you can even find the podcast on our page. So, like I said, that's the last story. That's all I have for this week. Please leave us reviews. We like to do this for you, so you tell us what you want, what segments you want to hear, what news you'd like to hear, if you'd like to work with us. So you can leave reviews, or if you'd like to contact me directly, you can reach out podcast at rarepetro.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at rarepetro, one word, dot com. Until I see you next time, take care.